He was quite simply a legend, a warrior who played not one but two codes of football, winning two All-Irelands with the Dubs and two FA Cups with Manchester United. Uh, he also represented his country with great distinction 71 times. Who am I talking about? I can only be talking about the great Kevin Moran. Kevin, how are you? Very well, Gary. Thank you. Nice intro. I've forgotten uh, all that. <laughs> you'd forgotten. I, I doubt a day goes by when you're allowed to forget um, anything about, about your past. So, Kevin, you kind of created, I don't know, was it history when you went from... Uh, Pegasus to Manchester United in um, uh, in was it 1978? It was yeah 78. And you were also a a, a kind of well established and outstanding Gaelic footballer for Dublin. That that must have been a pretty amazing sort of transformation for you. It was. It was very unexpected. To be perfectly honest with you, at the time I was playing mainly Gaelic with Dublin at the time. I'd won the All-Ireland in 76. We were into 77 when I was able to still play a bit of soccer by playing with Pegasus, the postgraduate team at UC, from UCD. And uh, we had a great run in the in the FAI Cup. And I think the chief scout then, uh, Billy Bean, came to watch me play in a game or two. And that particular game, I think, against Dundalk, he said that, convinced him that he'd like me to go over and have a trial with United. And who was it, uh, can I ask you, who kind of tipped Billy Bean off? Because, you know, uh, with respect to Pegasus, it wasn't quite, you know, the established orders of things, but, you know, Shamrock Rovers or, or Bohemians or just one of the, the, the high-profile clubs. So so how did that happen? Who, who, who saw that potential in you? It's true. I figured that out much later, actually, um, at the time. Ronnie Nolan was the manager at UCD when I played for UCD and I did that in my final year. That was just before, you know, Pegasus, which was the following year. And Ronnie Nolan was a big uh, friend of Billy Beans. Not only that, Billy had asked Ronnie, I heard, to go over to United and he didn't for whatever personal reasons at the time because Ronnie was a fantastic footballer with Shamrock Rovers at that time. And um, so I've no doubt that Ronnie Nolan would have seen me play you know, week in, week out for UCD. And he was the one who really would said to Billy, by the way, Billy, you know, I think you could you could do worse than having a look at Kevin. Okay. And and then, like, did you consider yourself to be, uh, you know, pr- uh, well, first division material? I mean, was it a dream of yours? Absolutely no. Nothing like it. Um, possibly the year before I played with UCD, I played with Bohemians. I, I'd done well at that first year. I played mainly in the reserve team because the fullback, I was a fullback, by the way, at the time, not a centre-back. So I was a fullback. And the Johnny Doran, I think was his name, was the fullback then. And I couldn't get into the team, but I did play the last three games, I think. For, so you would have thought, you know, I was on the right pathway there if that's what I wanted. But in the end, it wasn't what I wanted. I wanted to play with UCD. And by playing with UCD, on a Saturday, I was able to play Gaelic football, which I wanted to do again on a Sunday. Can I go back just a little bit, Kevin? Because like we talk to other players like who have had a big conflict in their lives between between soccer and GEA, right? You, you, you mentioned Billy Bean there when he brought John Giles over to Manchester United. John Giles said the influence in school made him felt that he wasn't even Irish. Owen Hans sp- speaks about hiding his face in photographs of underage soccer so that the Christian brothers wouldn't give him a hard time if the photograph appeared in the local newspaper. Um, 
all these from the story. And then there's other players like Ronnie Whelan, who we had on this podcast, who said, no, there was, there was no conflict when he grew up. Was there a conflict in your family? I know your parents, I think, are both from Leitrim. Was there, was there this anti-soccer or conflict between the two games as you were growing up? Or was it just something that you that you enjoyed, both games and no conflict? Because the ban only finished in 1971 and you would have been playing around that time. That's right. I never noticed that there was a ban on it all. Really? Like you said 1971 was before that. So I'm a bit like Ronnie's era more than anything else. I played growing up both sports, you know, but I didn't start playing soccer till I was under 13 or maybe even under 14 for Ranger Schoolboy team up in Bushy Park. So it was quite late doing it at that stage, you know. Before then, it was just all uh, Gaelic football, playing that with St. James's Schoolboy, where I went in the primary school, and then to Drimley Castle for the secondary school. And then I was playing with the, the club team on Koshland then for a short while. No, actually, I was playing with good counsel, actually, more than anything else. But so there was never a comment made to you about soccer in that era. There's nobody, no, no conflicts, your family, nobody in your family, nobody in school. My, my, my dad at one stage did have a, a think about it because he was a very much a GAA man. He was secretary of Sean McDermott's, I think, for a period at that time. So he, he would have been more towards the other way. But at the same time, he was very much in favour of what I wanted to do, you know. Right. And um, so there was no problem or concern at all, even in the family, if I played, you know, Gaelic one day, soccer the next day. Okay, so you came from a, a, a kind of a very sort of free and easy attitude, a free and easy attitude about about what sports you played and whether there were there was, absolutely was, okay. We were always, of course, my mother, you know, was a fantastic woman. You know, when we were even younger, growing up, there were sets of golf clubs in the house. You know, mm. there was out play tennis. We all we all did swimming at an early age, so it was very much, you know, towards sport. Get out there, play sport. Be active. And the Dubs team that you played in in the mid-70s, uh, great great team, very well and very fondly remembered. It was a kind of, um, you know, there was there was almost a kind of a, in terms of the, the, the audiences, the crowds that used to go to Croke Park, it was almost like a bit of a, an old Trafford situation because you frequently got, you know, 45,000, 50,000 people or more uh, in the big games, didn't you? Yeah, there was back then, I agree, but... I didn't follow GAA then, you know. I remember I went to the All-Ireland final in 74, but that was the first time I saw them play in 74. The next time I saw them play was the final in 75. The next final, I was in it. <laughs> so you had no history of supporting the Dubs when you were a child? You had no history going to Crow Park? No. Really? No. So you so, so just you, you never had to so being lifted over the turnstile thing and uh, all that kind of thing, No. No, actually you're wrong there. There is one game I can remember as a kid, my father bringing me to Croke Park, you know, because I said he was a big GA man. And I remember, I forget what game it was, but the place was jam-packed. Right. And I remember being lifted over the, the torn side. I would have been no more than about six, seven at the time. I'm just going to make another adjustment. Is that better? It's cut me in its spotlight. It's all right. Dancing in the moonlight. Free hearing aids with PRSI at Specsavers. Music to your ears. Find out more online. Terms and conditions apply. You're hearing the sounds of a street in India. For Yotsna, a 65-year-old lady, sounds were all she had. She developed cataracts that in Ireland are easily treated. But because she couldn't see, she was abandoned by her family. 
People like Yatsna are the reason Specsavers support the Hope Foundation, an amazing charity who restored her sight. And when she could see again, they also found her place to live. Find out how we're changing people's lives for the better at specsavers.ie. Since she got her free hearing aids with her PRSI at Specsavers, Roisin is a changed woman. Music has never sounded better, and that makes her dance. And dance, and dance. Her singing, though, yeah, well. Free hearing aids with PRSI at Specsavers. Music to your ears. Find out more online. Terms and conditions apply. So, so sport was something that you played, that you were involved in, you were in the thick of. Sport wasn't necessarily something that you spent your time watching. A lot of different teams in the house, you know. Um, I'm one of eight, so my brother at United was gone. Nottingham Forest was gone. Um, who else was there? Um, QPR was another one my brother had. So there was all different teams that we all supported. But when you supported them, it was just a name that you had. You know, I didn't have posters on the wall. Or you didn't see many games back then because, as you know, back in those days, there was only matches a day. So you just saw a little bit of football. You didn't see much. I have to say, Kevin, that's something of a surprise that this stuff <laughs> just happened to you. I, I, I always kind of got that feeling when I was, when I was, you know, way back when, you know, where did this guy come out of and how did this happen? I just next you'll be telling us that you actually, you know, discovered Google. Yeah, uh, in your spare yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you won the Eurovision Song Contest just by just wandering up. Like, it feels a little bit like he wandered into the ground in 1976 well, and I just did, happened uh, to, to win in Northern Ireland, you know? Uh, but, as, as it turns out, by the way, uh, I think I've mentioned this, I, I know your uh, nephew, Vincent. And yeah. uh, he told me a funny story just about, I think, you and uh, All-Ireland Final Day. Uh, pretty much, was it Tony Hanahone? Uh Jimmy Keevan, I can't remember, but but lads, maybe Bobby Doyle or whatever, dropping by to your house and you were having Sunday lunch uh, on the day, uh, uh, like it was a normal family day. And then you just happened to go off to an All-Ireland. Is that right? But that would have been the case, yeah. But that, that happened for all games. I think most players did the same thing. That, what, what was amazed about that was that my brother, Brendan, had come up from Cork to, for the All-Ireland final. And he brought up a friend of his who was big into the GAA down in Cork. And it, we all had dinner together. And because Sean Doherty always picked me up, you see, from the house to bring me to Crow Park for the games. And this was the All-Ireland final in 76. And he can remember more than anything else the size of the meal I had before going out the That's what blew this guy away. My, my mother, God rest her, wouldn't have known. And the bigger the match, the bigger the occasion, the bigger the meal. Really? So I would have had a massive big roast um, dinner before potatoes, cabbage, the lot, all the veg, like it was Christmas dinner, honestly, before it, without knowing anything. And then because it was, my, because it was the big day and everything, she gave me my favourite, which was trifle. You know, so I had a big bowl of trifle then after that then as well. And he, this guy's looking at this in almost amazement and horror, thinking, how can you do this? And you're going to be able to play in all Ireland final in about two and a half hours. And, and in those days, like when, like, okay, you, you, you explode onto the panel and, and the dubs are 
this whole terrorist culture of Hill 16 really starts in the 70s and the Dublin team are getting better. And, you know, people, I suppose, in the modern era mightn't realise that Dublin beating Kerry in the championship never happened. Um, beating them twice in the 70s was a very unusual event. Being a Dublin footballer in those days, was there a lot of notoriety that went with that? Did people recognise you on the street? Did they know who you were? Was there a level of, of glamour and, and fame attached as it might be today? Or was it just something that happened this summer and then you went back to being in your day-to-day -day life after that? No, it, it wasn't. It, it was it was taking a grip. There's no doubt about it. You know what I mean? Right. No doubt about it. But you might get noticed maybe if, let me say, if you were in the, at the pub all the time or whatever, would you, I wouldn't be. You know, I'd be going out still with my mates doing the same thing or whatever. Nothing changed. You okay. know what I mean? As far as I was concerned, you know, um, we were always well grounded from that point of view. But it wasn't that, you know, oh, wow, this has taken off, you know, uh, in a way that you'd see today, you know, because so much is televised and everything, you didn't have that kind of notoriety because of um, TV or anything like that. So no, there's there nothing like that. And then you you went. Uh, Kevin Heffern stepped away after '76. Tony Hanhoe becomes manager in '77. Then your your head has been turned uh, turned to soccer. Did you notice a big change when you moved to England about how things were done between Gaelic football? Uh, and at Manchester United, was there, I don't know, some attitudes that you had to get your head around between, you know, GA people wondering why this guy is going off playing soccer or soccer people in England wondering who on earth this Gaelic footballer is? Was there a lot of explanation that you had to do during that period or did you just, you know, transfer over fairly easily? No, I, I just transferred over. There wasn't, I was fortunate. The fitness level I had with Dublin carried me very much through into the, into the soccer scene over United. There was very little difference of none between the fitness levels of the, of the two. Um, and you must remember, when I went over to United, it was in February of 78. Uh, so you're just into the latter stages of the season where the training wouldn't be as intensive as it would have been maybe earlier on in the season. Um, and usually then you were playing maybe a game or two games a week. Now, I wasn't because I wasn't anywhere near the first team, by the way. This is very important to realise that when I went over first, I could hardly even get into the reserve team. You know, so if, if you looked at my first few months at United, you would have said, you know, this guy ain't going to last. He'll, he'll be back home on the next flight or, or more, more on the next boat, yeah. you know, um, than anything else. So it, it did. It did take me a long time before adjusting to the, the more the, the setup, but also as well, because I'd only played Gaelic for so long and not too much of the soccer. I had a lot to learn in terms of technique and all the rest of it. So, yeah. It was and what were the coaching staff like to you? And it was the Dave Sexton uh, uh, regime, of course. And so what, what did they do to kind of bring you up to the level that you needed to be at? I, I, they treated me no different from anybody else. It was up to you. It's always up to you when you're over there to how much you're going to learn, how much you're going to take on board then as well. But I, I do think the big change for me happened there when instead of playing full back after literally maybe a few weeks there, um, they switched me from full back into centre back because I was playing with young lads. So I was a big fella, you know, compared, and I wasn't big in stature really, but I was just big compared to them because they were so, so small and young, you know? So that's how far away I was. And I kind of got a breakthrough when I moved up and started playing, which maybe took about February, March. Yeah, about two months, maybe just less than two months. I started playing with the reserve team. Now I was playing with more or less the bigger guys, you know, and like the reserve team then was the equivalent of first, a lot of first team players maybe playing to get themselves fit then as well, really. And and the young players coming through that would get into the first team. So it was much more competitive. And when you played against the other Everton's and Liverpool's and all the rest of it, 
you were playing against the young players there that were going to come through. So it, it was a much better process for me to learn from, which I was able to do. So they let you go back, was it for the 78 final? The yeah, yeah, final, the 78 final. But before then, I came back in in 77, you know, no, yeah. 78. Yeah. The, the year of 78, I came back, but I didn't tell them I played. <laughs> <laughs> And there's a good reason why you didn't tell them you played because the the, the stadia when you returned. Do you want to do you want to just <laughs> you know you know what I mean? I need to know. <laughs> so you were saying uh, I just hopping home here for a while, and they didn't know that you were playing in these very high profile games in front of tens of thousands of spectators. Everybody in the country. I, I made the sure they were very low profile games. <laughs> <laughs> so was it is it true, by the way, sorry, is it true that you went back uh, with a degree of, um, of, of injury? Yeah, this is the uh, question I was going to ask. So that was, that was after 78. But by yeah. then, but for the 78 final, Tony Hanahoe and Kevin Heffern came over and met with Dave Sexton. Okay. And got permission for me to come back and okay. play in the 78. But after the final, you got a head wound, so your head is all bandaged up. You tore your hamstring. Yeah. Uh, and I think by your own admission, because I did hear that you interviewed on this before, you might have had a bit of a late night as well. And you, you were right back in Manchester looking like something that's just, uh, I don't know, <laughs> spent some time on the Western Front. I, I, I looked, uh, I was a mess. I remember <laughs> the hamstring, the head, hangover, everything. <laughs> I remember walking into the dressing room and the lads just burst out laughing. Right. I was in, you know. It's uh, got a classic you, Irish stereotype. So that was the end of your Gaelic football uh, career then. You had to just focus on, on, on football over in England and that was it. Well, I was supposed to. And yeah, yeah. Did you, did you? I, I, I played, I played again afterwards. Did you? Yeah. And you just didn't tell them? No. You must remember the, the great thing about those days where Come on, you guys. What's the great thing about those days? There was no, no social media. No Correct. There was no. There was no social media. Right. So you could go off and uh, and. Uh, there was no mobiles. And you yeah. played under the name Kevin Moran. You, yeah. You, you yeah. played. <laughs> yeah. You didn't do a kind of a because we've heard all these stories like during the band where Brian McAniff, for example, played under the name John Rooney playing soccer. So <laughs> so there was all this kind that was of. Probably during the band days. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you see, so and and was there ever a temptation to go? Oh, this, I'm not sure if I really have the patience for this football lark in Manchester United. Maybe I'll just go home. I'm homesick. Well, that, to be honest with you, when I went over, the, 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 the question was, when I was asked to go over, I first said no to Billy Bean. And he said, well, well, can I come back to you later? And I said, okay. And then he came back and he went, okay. I said, okay, I'll do it. How long do you want me to go for? He says, a two-week trial. And I said, no, I, I can't do two weeks. I said, I'll do three days. You know, if that's okay. And he says, okay, leave that with me. I'll sort out. Because I wanted to go over and see the place, see what it's like and come back. Because I didn't think anything would happen. Mm. I really didn't. And then when Dave Sexton asked, offered me the trial, or offered me the, you know, a two and a half year contract, I took a few weeks to think about it. Okay, so, the, 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 I mean... I, I I'm kind of speechless, Kevin, with the the with the uh, the the kind of uh, uh, ease with which everything seems to have actually happened for you, and you're because most people, as you know, are desperate to to make it when they go to these clubs, um, and you seem to have had a fairly sanguine attitude towards it. Of course, you you did have a, a degree from UCD as well to fall back on. Yeah, I I did have that, but it was the dubs. You know, that was the hard part leaving. Yeah. You yeah. Know? You know, I just pushed into the team in 76. We won the All-Ireland in 76. 
180 All Ireland again in 77, you know, heading into 78. And then all of a sudden, I've been catapulted over here. But I had to go, you know, and for you, you mentioned about playing. And the reason why I went, the reason why I was going yes and no and yes and no was because I'd always ask myself in 20 years' time, 30, 40 years' time, could I have made it? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I had to go to find out. And I always knew, well, if I didn't make it, I can always come back. And when you got into the first team, by the way, did you like it? Did you have a good sense of it? Did oh, you... yeah, yeah, yeah. When, well, when I made my debut in 79, in April 79. And um, I must admit, you know, that was just making your debut. And that was because United were playing in the FA Cup final in 79. And Dave Sexton was resting an awful lot of the players. So he gave a lot of young lads uh, an opportunity to play. It was an away game at Southampton. But the breakthrough mainly came um, in the following season, 79-80, when I played about uh, maybe 10 games or something like that, you know? And, and that but, one made me know, listen, yes, I can do it. But my night were in a, a period of transition at that point, the, maybe the, you know, the days of the 60s had, had been long forgotten. They, were, they hadn't won the league in, in, in a long time. Their aspiration in those days was winning FA Cup. So it was, it was a club... Not necessarily at, at at the heights of where you know it had been or it would be in, in the next period. Am I right? It, it was it was a, a possibly a, diff, a difficult enough place to be, a high profile club, but not succeeding as much as it wanted to succeed in that period. Absolutely, it it was always being able to pick up, which it did do even in the seventies, in seventy seven. Um, it always was able to pick up the FA Cups, but it was just winning the leagues. And you must remember, around seventy six, they got relegated. Yeah, you know they were yeah. in the second division for a period and then bounce back and they bounce back into a really great team under Tommy Doherty, you know, when they have um, Koppel and, you know, Gordon Cook Hill and all those guys. Gordon yeah. Hill, that's right. And Pancho, Stuart Pancho, the person up front, you know, so they, they, it was a team that got everybody excited again. And then before you knew it, um, you know, Tommy Doherty had left and Dave Sexton had come in. But it was a period, there's no doubt about it, that, you know, they could win the FA Cups, but they could never win the league. And it's it's about winning the league. Yeah. The 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 Ron Atkinson era, uh, I really loved that era. That was a very exciting team. There was you played some swashbuckling football and kept, got quite close to winning the league. I know it didn't happen, but there was some it was a very exciting time. I that was my memory of it. Yeah. Well, Certainly, from our point of view, it was always exciting because it's always exciting playing for United. <laughs> yeah. That's what's great about the place. You know, the supporters make it that way. You know, they really do. You know, you have packed houses all the day, all the time. And for that reason, the expectation is always great. You know, and it should be. You know, every time you go out on the pitch, you know you are capable of winning this game. You know, it's never a question of thinking you're an, under, an underdog in any game at all. You're more than capable of winning it. I uh, remember... I saw you in a 1980, uh, in a match, April 1980 against Liverpool, which which you won 2-1. Gary Cook is a Manchester United fan. I am a United fan. Just in case the, it's not obvious. Uh, the atmosphere was absolutely electric. And since then, I have never experienced an atmosphere as good as those first few matches I saw United in those days, in the culture, the terrace culture and, and all of that. Uh, it was people were packed in. It was amazing, uh, and uh, yeah, that was that was the case week in week out. But that was the same for all the clubs. You look at Anfield; it was the exact same. You know what I mean? The big clubs, I mean. You look at the Arsenal's. You know, it would be the exact same there as well. You know, the atmosphere, the buzz about the place. It, it was amazing. Any of the games you went to. 
Did you did you find? I mean, look, you had a, a number of Irish pl- players in and around you at Manchester United. I don't know if that, that was a, a help or not, but we spoke to Niall Quinn on a, on a on a podcast a couple of weeks ago, and, and he spoke about how his his debut he was followed around the the pitch being called the Fenian bastard by a Liverpool player, right? Did you did you find any anti-Irish sentiment or did you find a big culture change between, you know, the the English soccer uh, dressing room and what's expected in the GEA dressing room? Or is that absolutely none. You know, the United dressing we had was absolutely brilliant. Fantastic. Yeah. You know what I mean? And and if if, if anything, you know what I mean who came over and joined us then at that stage, if you're talking about the Northern Ireland situation, the problems there yeah. was very much, was Norman Whiteside. Yeah. Right. And Norman Whiteside, his two best mates in no time at all was Paul McGrath and myself. <laughs> right. Right. And before that, Norman would have been, you know, would have been brought up in a culture of, you know, every Catholic being, you know, Fenian or whatever you want to put it then as well, really, you know, at that time. But fair play to him, it just disappeared off as soon as he came to United. There was none of it. There seems to have been a a, a very good, I always got the feeling there was a very good camaraderie in that team. Uh, and it showed on the pitch and obviously the leader ultimately being Brian Robson, who I know you're friendly with Brian. Uh, and uh, he's he was an incredible leader and an incredible player. Uh, but that team had had a lot of very good players, you know. Norman Whiteside was, was young, but was it was? I mean, he became a midfield player who was, you know, up against Graham Souness in a match I saw in nineteen eighty three, and and Mixon given as good as he got, you know. There was. Uh, did you feel that that team? Uh, that team should have should have won, won the league. It should have, it should have gone on. But we we had the best start in eighty five. You won the first ten matches. Yeah, we won the first ten matches. Mm. You know. And then, and then the wheels came off a bit. Brian got injured, mm. you know, in about, I forget, soon after that. But we still went on. I think we were unbeaten for the first 16 games, you know. And then it's funny because Liverpool went on to win the league, as they often did back then, I think, that particular season. And um, I always remember they finished the season better than we started. In their last 13 games, I think they won 11 and drew two, you know. So it's very much always about how you finish it season rather than how you started so so you're playing for ireland during this period kevin so um can i ask you this question the the, the professionalism if you like of the dublin setup and the fitness that you just described right and we've heard you know stories about how kevin having an organized things and all that and great success and you're at manchester united which, which is a, a you know very high profile english club um the fai ireland setup in the early 80s we had Owen Hand on, on this podcast a couple of weeks ago and he describes what he had to put up with, the state of the pitch at Lansdowne Road. Ronnie Whelan would say he goes from Liverpool back to Ireland and the pitch is a, a, a disgrace. Uh, Owen has all these battles all the time. Basic things like getting training facilities near the airport, things that the that the Blazers didn't understand. Um, how did you view things as being uh, an international in those very early days of the 80s under Owen? Was there a big difference? Was it unprofessional? Was it amateurish? Yes, yes. You'd have to say you'd agree with that. It was very amateurish. You know what I mean? They were way behind, especially when you were coming from the professional setup of a club like Manchester United. Yeah. You know, so when you traveled, you traveled, you know, if I were a train, you traveled to first class, you know, you went to the best hotels, you had the best food, you had everything like that was always the very, very best. Then you'd come over with the island set up and as you say, it's completely different, you know? But then... 
did it bother me? It never really bothered me because I prefer more than anything else the camaraderie among all the guys then as well. You know, yes, it's not the greatest, you know, in terms of maybe preparation or whatever. But at the same time, you know, whether the bed isn't right or whether the, the food isn't right, it's not going to, should not upset your preparation before it. But you talk about Owen back then, but even later on when you thought we would have come out of it under Jack's era, Jack was nearly worse, you know, because <laughs> Jack certainly, Jack didn't care about it. You know, Owen was talking about the pitches which were so bad. At, at times, Jack purposely made the pitches bad. By saying, listen, by the way, training session would be on. I remember, I think it was we were playing Spain, you know, in one of the qualifiers. And um, I remember him going out and saying, to, do not cut this pitch. I don't want to see anything. And it was just a rugby match played on it at the weekend, prior to the weekend, you know. And it was terrible. But you could see their, their players when they were running out onto the pitch thinking, you know, they, they'd <laughs> lost before they'd started. So because this pitch, you can't play football on it. Sponsored by Expressway. With My Expressway, free travel pass holders can reserve their seats online at expressway.ie or at our ticket machines in stations. Think you're not smart enough to own a smartphone? Well, think again and think Doro. Doro phones are designed specially with the older person in mind. They're easy to use with louder sound and larger text. Plus numerous state-of-the-art features that don't compromise on performance or quality. To learn more about the full range of high-tech Doro phones, visit doro.ie. Doro phones. Make friends with innovation. If you're enjoying this podcast, why not subscribe to Senior Times? Visit the website at seniortimes.ie and like us on Facebook. You're in your 30s or early 30s when Jack comes along. Like, what was your view of Jack when he came in? Was this something that you thought was going to be a positive change? Or were you looking at this going, I'm not sure about this. Uh, I'm going to have to row in here, but I'm not, I'm not mad. Because again, Owen says, and this isn't widely known, that after the European Championship qualifiers, before the Scotland-Bulgaria game, when it wasn't sure whether Ireland was qualify or not, he says he got a phone call from the FEI saying, this Jack Jonathan thing's not working out. He's having a row with too many players. He's falling out with Liam Brady. He's falling out with Dave O'Leary. He's falling. He's, he's you know, the, the crowds aren't great. The, the style of football is brutal. You know, we're thinking of we're thinking of, of of getting rid of him. This is what Owen says to us. Like, uh, how did you view? I mean, you were obviously somebody that 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 Jack picked and selected and and backed. But was it an enjoyable setup to be part of before before the success started? Well, before the success started, the the answer to that is yeah. We all had question marks over how we played. You know, I mean, we would have always wanted to, you know, try to play a little bit more. But then when you analyze it as well with Jack. All he did wanted was never to play the ball out from the back. Yeah. But once you got the ball over there, and you must remember back then you could roll the ball back to Packy and he could pick it up. Pick it up. Then he'd launch it. So his Jack's idea was get the ball well into their half and then win the ball back there and then start playing football from there. You know? Yeah. And when you look at the game today, you look at the way the top teams pressurize each other well into the other half. It's exactly what he was doing going back then. So your job was to give was to give it a bit of a welly then. I mean that was that was yeah the welly is out of it completely, you know. But the yeah. whole idea of putting the pressure on to win the ball in mm. in their last third is what the game is about now more than anything else. But the game now is very much even played from the back out, which we would never do. You've got different names for it now, don't you? I mean, but before then it was it was 
kind of a version of a get up him, right? <laughs> Whereas now it's got all sorts of names like, you know, pressing, pressing and pressing. Uh, the Gagan press. I love that German term, you know, low blocks, high blocks, holding a high line and all that kind of thing. It's, um, it's, 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 it's got much more technical, you know, in terms of all the names. But like, it, it really wasn't great on the eye. Like, I mean, I know people were, were critical of the name and don't forget very upset about it. But anyway, you, you qualify for 88. Talk to us about the England game because, like, you would have been playing against these. These are people that you knew, your friends on, on the England side. I, t- I think if you're honest, you didn't really expect Ireland to beat England in '88. I think if you're honest, you 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 expected to it was going to keep keep the the score down, and then and then you score after six minutes, and it's the I tor- most torturous night in my young memory. I can, I can I I swear to God, it was the longest game I've ever witnessed. No, what I was it like being well? Am I being unfair? Did you expect to do well against England? I'd have to say we did. To say we'd expected to win it would be a little bit of overstatement. I'd say that, but we knew we could perform. Okay. The one good thing we had was when you looked around the team we had, the players mm. we had. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know, it was a hell of a team. It yeah. really, really was. The unfortunate thing was we actually went into it without two of the best players we had. When you look at how we qualified, Mark Lawrenson and Liam Brady. Correct. Mark right. Johnson and Liam Brady. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. you know, when when we had those two players in that in our team back back then when we played Scotland away, to me, Scotland away result was one of the best results we ever got because we could never win a game away from home. That was always Yeah, you know, Mark, Mark Lawrence scored, scored that night. Didn't yeah. yeah. Mark Lawrence mm. scored that. That's correct, you know. Probably the best eleven ever put out. It was because... the best eleven I'd ever seen out of yeah. the You know yeah. what I mean? Ronnie Wheeler, that right back uh, Pomegranate or right maybe left back, I think. And... Correct. Uh, Paul McGrath right back. Yeah. Ronnie Wheeler was left back and Paul McGrath was right back. So yeah. Jack had almost put, I'm, go- I'm going to get my best players out of that pitch. You know what I mean? And in, in whatever way. He couldn't put Ronnie and Paul in midfield because in midfield, he had Mark in the middle, actually, was, was Mark Lawrence and Liam Brady. You know, when you when you yeah. look at the quality of the players we had then as well, really. You know? And on the right was Ray Houghton. On the left was Tony Galvin. And who could have played at that time when he was injured, I think, and he was in his prime, was Kevin Sheedy. That's right. And then up front, and then, up front then you had um, Frank and John Alder. Kevin Sheedy, like a league winner with Everton, couldn't mm. get in the first 11. I love Tony Gagan with, with the, the socks rolled down by the ankles, you know. <laughs> that, was, that was nice. But yeah. the key about that team is that Jack had then, if you, the key about that is there's no young players in that. We're all mature players. Mm. Played loads of games for our first team and all the rest of it. We're all in our mid-twenties, late-twenties, you know, in, into that, the thirties. So the experience out on the pitch was amazing. And what's I your must... memory of the England game, anyway? Like, if you were to, if, I'm sure people ask you this all the time, but it, do you have a standout memory of it? Um, you, do, do you get, he also gets an assist for the goals, and he did actually hit <laughs> freak. That's right, you launched <laughs> the ball. <laughs> you, you put the kids in the corner, and uh, it, it made its way over onto Ray Hansen at one point. But do you have a memory of it? No, you don't. I, I think the memory you get afterwards is just the elation of winning. You know, yeah. was the atmosphere afterwards? Because when you're on the when you're on the pitch and you're playing it, it's interesting. Exactly what you said. Oh, it was the worst ninety three min- or eighty three minutes of my life. Since I, you know, I was on the edge of my seat and all the rest of it. The one thing when you play is you don't have that. I always yeah. I always maintain the best place to be an hour two hours before the game is the supporter. Yeah, in the pub, having a few drinks, having the crack, whatever else, and the best place to be. When the game starts, it's the player. 
because you're on the pitch then, mm. and you don't have time. It's all things happening. So there's no, you, you don't see things. You don't was, see issues. You don't see problems. Absolutely torturous. It was. I, I, I absolutely. You look at torture. I, even if there was a situation where it was three innings against two at the back, you don't think that. You just think you, you, you deal with it and you get on with it. Well, the the um, I I certainly never remember, and I was uh, twenty three at the time. Uh, uh, I certainly never remember. I was anyone uh, uh, who knew about football saying that uh, it would be a question of keeping the score down. Uh, in- England had played uh, in the previous um, uh, World Cup game. Yeah. No, what they had. Well, I just know I watched football hugely at that time when you were in, you know, in your shorts. And um, <laughs> I, I remember that England side, although they had a lot of very talented players, um, you know, they didn't always perform especially See, I, I well at bu- World Cups. Or, I, yeah, or, or, I was or, buying like uh, Match Magazine, Shoot Magazine those days, right? And it was all these sort of the English propaganda about how great their side was. And Emma News would be writing these articles about how ERA hadn't got a chance in this, you know, Battle of Britain, all this sort of nonsense. And you kind of did think, God, I'd be looking to get an all draw here. And they had Barnes and Bursley and Lineker and all this sort of stuff going <laughs> the, on. The one that really made the difference on the day for England, because we are pretty comfortable right throughout the first half as you oh, remember on, yeah. uh, and was the thing that made a difference and I watched this game several times uh, for reasons of work with Apre match as well when we were doing a, a thing based around it uh, Glenn Hoddle came on and he made a difference and he you know his his presence on the pitch did create quite a few chances later on in the game but it wasn't really till later on in the game that Ireland were on, under the cosh I, I never remember in the game thinking, well, our backs are really against the wall here. You know what I mean? They had they had a couple of half chances and Packy took off a few saves, but they weren't saved. You'd, they'd be saves that you'd expect the goalkeeper to save. You know, it wasn't like, yeah. oh, there was a situation where I think, they, did they get one-on-ones or something like that? Lineker had one chance, which I think was it was a genuinely great chance towards the end and he, uh, Packy made a save. He, Lineker didn't, you know, he, he didn't have his shooting boots on and he didn't strike it particularly well, but that was the best chance that they had. It was agonising as it's always agonising, but, but you know, uh, England didn't, it wasn't like England absolutely dominated that game. Well, they didn't. They, 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 they were more dominant towards, you know, for the last quarter of the game, but, you know, you'd expect that. They were chasing the game. Yeah, yeah they're going down. <laughs> they have to come. We, we're, we're comfortable. With, we've got 1-0. Now, we want to try and make it 2-0. Well, you watched the game. I haven't really. So, did we have many chances after that? Uh, Ronnie Whelan had a dipping shot and... Uh... It felt like a back a back against the wall thing, but but we win it, and then not only that, but then we you know we we draw against the Soviet Union. We we were very unfortunate. I remember your reaction when Wim Keefe's goal goes in against against Holland. You you hit the deck. Uh, uh, you were you were you were exhausted and uh, and upset. The reaction when you got home though, the the turnout of the Irish public after Euro eighty eight. Did that did that surprise you? The, the the reaction in Ireland to the to the to the beating of England and to the performance in the European Championship? It, it, it was amazing. You know, we never realised this was the reaction back home. You know what I mean? Yeah. And not only that, it was the start of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was, yeah. About it because two years later, the World Cup ninety, you know, was even bigger and greater again. You know, than than anything else that we'd ever experienced. Um, but. But listen, do you know what? That's almost what you almost expect from the Irish public because we are such a nation of great sports followers and we're just there waiting 
you know, for something good to happen. You know, I remember when it was cycling, we all knew about green jerseys, which we'd never known before, and yellow shirts <laughs> and all the rest mm. of it, you know, with yeah. Stephen Roach and all that. You know, and, and when you look at it, you know, we love supporting, you know, our own and to see it do well. And and then, Kevin, in uh, Italian 90, uh, the expectation had kind of gone up uh, with the Irish public. Did you feel a little bit of uh, kind of heightened expectation? Well, there was, yes, but rightly so. I think we went through that period, um, Gary, where we won seven consecutive games mm. before going over to the to World Cup. And during that period as well, we 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 got actually ranked to number seven in in the, in the FIFA um, world ratings. Yeah. Now you, you don't get there for no reason, and you know that for that reason as well, the players would understand. Hey, we've got a hell of a good team here. You know what I mean? You know, and you're not in that bracket big for for no reason. You've earned the right to be there. And, and your memory of Italia ninety, what's your standout memory of that? Do you have do you have something that you that you think back on? Lots really, you know. Um, apart from the, the the football, you know, the, the whole occasion of meeting the Pope was awesome. You know, yeah. I mean? we're going to the Vatican and you know the, the, everything about it, it sounds like a really special time that a lot of you have a lot of fond memories of yeah yeah we had we were we we, we all got on so well you know I mean right. I, I look back on my career I'm the luckiest guy you'll ever come across you know I mean? I mean that from a point of view the Dublin setup the guys there the camaraderie the was unbelievable you know I thought I'd never I'd never beat this anywhere then you go to United and it's fantastic there as well really then you've got Ireland then on top of it you know and you know, anywhere around, all I just had was great guys all around you, different people in many ways, but all all pulling together in the same and all having great fun. And we were able to do that with Ireland more so than anywhere else because Jack allowed us a little bit of leeway. You know, we were able to go out and have a beer and enjoy ourselves, which is something, you know, players can't really do at the moment. Is there any truth in the rumour that uh, I heard on the flight to America in 1994 is it true that you had a contretemps with Jack Charlton or is that a myth? These are rumours. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> when you, Kevin, when you wanted to say something to a manager or did, did you, were you kind of straightforward in how you express yourself? Would you just say it as it is? Yeah, I would have done. Yeah, 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 I did. You know, um, I do I remember talking to Jack once. I said to him, I put him, I, there was a game at, in Lansdowne and I came off a concussion. And I think it was against France or Spain or some one of those teams. And um, he had put in the paper, he was interviewed afterwards about it. He says, oh yeah, Kevin is, um, Kevin is, because uh, I had a big lump on my forehead, you know. Kevin's confused and tick. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> And he didn't like that quote, did you not? You, you, you no, I said to him, I had to pull him up on that one. I go, hey, Jack, what do you mean? I'm, I'm not thick and I'm not confused. So, And then he tries to put it in his way, which, is, which was funny in some ways. You know what I mean? As he goes, no, what I meant was you were concussed. I said, concussed, yeah, but I said confused, you know. And, yeah, and you had a big lump on your thing, so it was thick. Right. But, Kevin, that is the way you played. Um, I remember in the FA Cup final in 1983... Uh, was one of the greatest moments I've ever seen at the sports field. Is um, you you went off, you were stretched off. I thought this guy's in trouble. 
he's he's dead and you were on a stretcher you looked like you'd been knocked out there was blood everywhere and you went by the United fans and your arm just went up like this it was the greatest moment of all time yeah that's right that was the FA Cup semi-final yeah yeah. did did, did you just have the attitude of I'm going in for the ball I'm going to win it no matter what or were you cognizant to the fact that you know uh, you might get I remember thinking you were a bit of a lunatic. Like you would put your head in where other people wouldn't put their foot. Yeah, there, there was there was an element when I look back on it as well. You know, I, you're right. I would put my head in. It didn't bother me if I saw the ball. I'd go for it. But there was I, I believe a lot of naivety as well. You okay. Know what I mean? In terms of some of the damage wasn't all of the opposition. A lot of it sometimes was almost self-inflicted. You know what I mean? I could have gone for a ball, really. We got, that's not really yours. You're, you're not going to get that, you know? So mm-hmm. I should have been able to, which I did do later. If you look at all the, most of those injuries I got were very much in the early part of my career. After yeah. after the belt, that one, that possibly could have been one of the last ones. You know? but, but you but you went to the World Cup in, the, in 94 as a 38-year-old. I mean, you, you had a pretty long career and very yeah, successful. Yeah, yeah. But uh, ironically, if you think about it, in in... I left United in, in 88. And you think 10 years of United left there in 88. Is that the end of your career? Yeah. When you think about it, that was the start of mm. my international career, even though I'd been played with Ireland for a long time. But a, a start of the successful part of it from 88 to 94. Mm. Yeah. And, but then, and then again, of course, I had a fantastic period. I had a great time in Spain for a year and a half before finishing up with four and a half years with Blackburn Rovers, which was awesome with Rovers because it was just when they were they were taken off you were sorry you, and you were there at the uh, the the very beginning of the ferguson uh, r- regime yeah uh, and i've there's so many stories that you hear about you know ferguson claiming that line you know that it was more of a drinking club than a football club uh, which and i'm just wondering what is the truth of that because my, my understanding of a lot of footballers from that era you know like phil thompson talks about going down with terry mack and you know, a Thursday night to have like seven pints in, in an hour and a half in the pub before closing time. So, you know, I got the feeling that it was kind of a part of the culture. It was very much the culture. And I'm sure if you you, you say you had Ronnie on the podcast, I'm sure yeah. if you were asked Ronnie, Ronnie would tell you that, that Liverpool team, you know, did the exact same as what United did. But they were winning leagues. They were winning the leagues. Yeah. Nobody's going to question it. Yeah. yeah not winning the league. Yeah. It's always And it was the same. The way I always put it, they always talked about the same guys as well, really. You know what I mean? Mm. In terms of oh, Robson, McGrath, Whiteside, it probably was a little bit. But if you looked at it week in, week out, and you would have followed them, them Gary, as you said, you're a United fan then. You know, most United players would say, who's your three best players? Mm. You know, mm. would be McGrath, Robson and Whiteside. Yeah. yeah. You know, so so what's that got to say as regards the, the, the and they were the ones who were supposed to be the drink function? What was Ferguson like in the early days? I found Ferguson, how would you put it, very intense, you know, unbelievable, kind of like workaholic, always at it, always wanting to to do things, improve things. He'd be in there in the morning by seven o'clock. He'd be watching another game in the evening. He'd, he'd be nonstop trying to get what he wanted to get done right. You know what I mean? Um, from that point of view, he maybe the intensity, he was used to a situation where he came from with Aberdeen whereby um, he controlled the whole situation there. Right. Then when he comes to United, it's not the same because there's an awful lot of senior players then that, you know, that, that kind of like have your own little ways then as, about things. 
So I can always remember Gordon Strachan saying how he was thinking, oh, I can't believe this. He says, I left Aberdeen to get, to get away from him. And now he's coming to, to, to United. He says, you can be guaranteed one thing, I, I won't last long. But when, when, you were fin- when you were finished with your career, though, Kevin, like, uh, for me, you know, a lot of the Italian 90 players and that are, are, are still, you know, you, you see them in the media last year. You hear Niall Quinn, you hear Ray Helton, you hear John Aldridge. You didn't go into management. You, di- you didn't go into, into taking teams, training teams. I mean, you have more expertise in Gaelic football and, and, and football than, than anybody else I can think of. You played at the highest level in Gaelic football. You played the highest level in club football and international football. But the management side of things didn't really, uh, didn't really, you know, uh, interest you or it just you, you found your expertise going in a different direction. And therefore, you haven't really been somebody who's been, to my mind, interviewed a huge amount over the last, say, 30 years about, about your football experiences. It's not that you're shying away from it. It's just that you're not really in the, uh, in the limelight, as it were, as, uh, as an ex-player. Um, but the management side of things didn't really... Well, I did a lot of media work. And then you moved off it. Even with, with Sky, particularly. Right. You know, I was probably the main pundit on Sky at that time. Why? Because here's a guy who's just played with Blackburn Rovers and he's also played with United. Okay. So I ticked both boxes then. So there's a lot of that. And then I did a lot with, with um, RTE as well, with the Ireland situation. So there was a lot in the air those years afterwards, but times you move on. Right. I'd already decided that I was going to go into um, with, with two other guys, one Jesper Olsen, who I played with, and the other was Paul Stretchford, the football agent. So, and we set up a business, Proactive Sports Management, and it became very successful. So I had a, I had a great journey with that. You know, yeah, on the way through. So I was fortunate from that point of view. I remember when Jasper Olsen was signed. By the way, he was going to be the guy who uh, who, who finally uh, delivered the league uh, to United. He was a beautiful footballer. Uh, he was an incredibly skillful footballer. By the way, one thing before we go, we have to uh, touch on, and it leads me into it is when you got uh, unjustifiably sent off. Oh. Uh, in the FA I Cup, ask this in the in the uh, in the eight, in the okay, so I okay, ask this so Paul McGrath said to me that crazy. no, he didn't. He he said uh, it was Jasper Olsen who played a really bad ball uh, to him, and he lost it because he was trying to cover for Jasper Olsen, and then the ball broke, and then you had your moment with uh, with Reed. Uh, uh, so I, and, I watched uh, it. I watched it. And if you look at it, yeah, there true. is a slightly uh, short ball by by Asper. But I loved him as a player. He's brilliant. We we actually have uh, we talked about Peter Reid a little bit in our, our tour because his grandfather fought in the nineteen sixteen rising. That's as right. A, as an Irish rebel, yeah, yeah, in Bowen's Mill. So it's kind of interesting that uh, you know he could have uh, played for us. He could have played for us. He could have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think he, he this story came out when he um, tried to become Ireland manager in two thousand and two. And anyway, we have one of your shirts as well that we show people as well on the show. It wasn't a sending off, Kevin, was it? No, no. Well, wasn't I'm even not free. That, but I don't, I don't think it was. <laughs> even in today's game, because if you looked at it, my foot is on the ground. It's not high. No, it's like I'm going for the ball. You know what I mean? I and we're just coming in different directions. You know, Peter Reid and myself, you know, I'm going across the pitch. He's going heading towards the goal. So as I slide in, he's going to come over the top of me anyway. But but sendings off were pretty rare in those days. And sendings off were pretty rare, and especially mm. in a cup final. And you, you did get your medal, didn't you? In the end, I did. I didn't get it there and then. 
but uh, I, I did get it later on. So, so what's it like? Like being, uh, the reason I asked you the previous question about your punditry or or whatever. Like, what's it like being Kevin Moore? And I'm fascinated to know. I mean, I remember being at a game and I saw you in the crowd, and I was, I was just too nervous to go up and see. <laughs> I was just too shy. I was like, oh my god, that's Kevin Moore. Like. Um, I'm interested to know, I mean, obviously people in my generation, younger people might, mightn't appreciate uh, how much of a god you are. I can say that. <laughs> but like, uh, being Kevin Moore, is it something that, that you wake up in the morning and you have to contend with? Or, or <laughs> it's, no different, it's no different from being Gary Cook. Well, yeah, I'd say I can't count Jasper Olsen amongst my business partners. Um, but yeah, like, are are you aware of the adulation? How much you mean to people, or you know, is this a part of your life? I'm no, I'm no different from anybody else. Uh, genuinely, I've I've got two season tickets at Old Trafford. I go there whenever I can. You know, whenever I'm about. You know, okay, I'm in the same area. I'd be asked, I'd be lucky if I'm asked once or twice max if, for an autograph. And if different people coming down there, maybe they've known I've been there from the same place for a long time. But even still, there's people that recognize you and you move on. They, they see everybody else. But there's, there's nothing different from anywhere else. The only thing I would say, in Ireland, possibly, yeah. if I go to a place where I haven't been to, right. you know what I mean, for a long time, say, down the country or somewhere like mm -hmm. that, you know what I mean? You would get people there that would go, uh, do you know, is that? It's because they, they, they wouldn't be expected to see you in and around that. But where I live here, you know, there's, you know, there's footballers everywhere. Yeah. You know, there, is, there is no sense of... Um, and you come over to Ireland matches. Are you, you, do you do you come over to, to to Dublin games? I haven't been to any of the Irish games recently. I have to admit, you know, it's a bit disappointing from that point of view. Um, but I'm hoping now that Stephen can get it right. He seems seems to be getting it right sometimes, and then all of a sudden, mm, yeah, you know, the, the, almost the football seems to be good, but just the result end of it. Do you know what I mean? So it just needs to get that a bit better. Finally, a question I have for you, Kevin, which you may not really want to answer, but I'll ask it anyway. As a United fan, I'm deeply uh, concerned by what is going on in our football club. So and I don't uh, care. What do you? What, what What are your thoughts? I'm deeply concerned. Like you know, <laughs> <laughs> I could be even more deeply concerned than you are. By the way, you know, yeah. I think. Well, I th I think for a start, Woodward leaving is a positive. You know what I mean? I think he's made a mess of the football side of things. Maybe not the commercial side, but certainly the football side. Um, some of the signings, some of the amount they paid for them, I know for a fact has just been so ludicrous. It hasn't been true. It's like I know for a fact that he's never even once tried to talk to the previous guy in there, David Gill, mm -hmm. as regards how he should ma manage things. And then it's been up to the managers then as well, really. You know, and you know we've had two or three different managers where you'd expect to have results, and they've all been given money. Let's be honest about it. United have had money, so it's about getting it right at the top, at, at, the, at the very top. I believe the squad they have at the moment is an awful lot better than what we're seeing at the moment. So it's up to the manager to get an awful lot more out of them. You know, to, And I mean, getting a lot more out of them is by demanding more from them. And, and then I hope he gets a few players in that he would want to mold the team the way, the way he can do. But at the moment, if you look at United's record, their intensity, their work rate, everything about them is the lowest in the Premiership. That's not acceptable. Mm. You know, and sometimes players might think they might think they're putting the effort in. I honestly believe they don't go out there not to do the job, but they're they're it's not being demanded of them to do the job. And this last guy, to me, was just a fraud. 
Ragnick in, in terms of I don't know what he done for the six seven months he was in there. He must have had, he must have had a great interview technique. <laughs> he should be writing books about that. How to get the how to get the job. <laughs> well, come here, Kevin. It's been an absolute thrill uh, for for both of us to to chat to you. We well, must come on our tour next time you're in Dublin. We'll we'll, we'll show you around the the, the history and, and politics connected with football. And uh, it's been it's it's been great. It's been great having you on. Absolutely, uh, you're a total hero, Kevin. Total hero. Well, thanks, guys. Today's podcast for the Senior Times was produced by Fergal Curtis for Tall Tales and presented by Gary Cook and Ayano Riedan. Should have gone to Specsavers. That's what the ads tell you. But for some people in India, it's not that simple. Imagine having no eye tests or glasses. You couldn't work, so you could lose your home. I'm Lisa from Specsavers, and I'm proud to help the Hope Foundation provide eye care in Kolkata. Specsavers arranged for me and my colleagues to go there and do eye tests. To date, we've given out over 11,000 pairs of glasses. Find out how we're changing people's lives for the better at specsavers.ie. What's the best site in India? The Taj Mahal, the Golden Temple? For Rintwa, it's his market stall. Some years ago, he lost his sight and then his job. I'm Lisa from Specsavers and we help the Hope Foundation provide eye care in Kolkata. Rintwa was found to have cataracts the charity performed surgery, which gave him his vision back. He regained confidence and returned to work. Find out how we're changing people's lives for the better at specsavers.ie. If something's free, why would you turn it down? I mean, a free haircut from a five-year-old. <laughs> oh, no. Or a free sample of onion paste. Oh. <clears throat> well, then, how about a free tour of your neighbour's new shed? Oh, that sounds well. Mm. OK, look, they were bad examples. But how about a free eye test and free glasses from the 69 euro range of Specsavers with your PRSI? Well, that sounds like something to smile about. Book an appointment or find out more at specsavers.ie.